Hello, I'm Anna, editor at TICE, and this is the Cracking Cybersecurity Podcast, where we unravel the burning cybersecurity issues of the moment with leading industry experts. As the US midterm elections approach, this week we thought we'd take a close look at elections and hacking with chief security scientist at Psychotic and TICE podcast regular Joseph Carson. On the podcast, Joseph explains why information wars pose the greatest risk to democracy, how manipulating the mind works through misinformation, and what changes to the voting system he'd like to see put in place. I'll be back at the end of the podcast with a cyber tip of the week, but first, here is Joseph responding to my question about whether he thinks there'll be similar levels of hacking and election disarray in the forthcoming midterms as there were in the 2016 elections. Absolutely, and probably even more this time around. Um, one of the things is that uh, during the time that I spent at both Black Hat and DEF CON this year, there was a lot of focus around the actual the, the voting machines, which I think is it's important to highlight because there's a lot of vulnerabilities. Those systems are very legacy. Um, they're you know quite exploitable. Uh, that was proven by, of course, you know, children were able to do it within 15 minutes, and um, you're able to compromise those systems through things like the JTAG diagnostics port. Um, I think it's important to highlight that, but I don't think it's the main area of concern from my side. I think it's you know that it is cause for concern. Um, that it does show that those systems are vulnerable, and uh, but I think that the biggest challenge, of course, is that it does require some level of physical access. So it means that you do have to go on and obtain those systems. You do have to be able to get access to a system that's going to be used on the actual voting network. So for me, I think that it's important to understand that those risks, but for me, I don't think that's the biggest risk. The biggest risk that I see is the challenge we have around information wars, uh, which is simply, you know, as uh, in the US they're called fake news, but in traditional sense, it's literally just propaganda. Um, it's no different from propaganda that's been used for the last two, three hundred years. So I think what we have to understand is, is of course, the propaganda has been spread through things like social networks and social media and uh, how people are actually using Internet services today. So with that, I think it's important to understand the basis of the algorithms. When we actually look at the algorithms that underlying, a lot of companies like Cambridge Analytica, of course, have exploited those algorithms to use them for their advantage. Because once you know the algorithms, you can get anything that you want in front of people. And you can also get those people to interact and give you information, and give you much more intelligence. And that's what the likes of Cambridge Analytica abused, of course, uh, Facebook's trust uh, with third-party vendors. Um, so understanding those algorithms and understanding how social spheres work really allows you to start really putting in the information that you want in front of people. And the more you put that information, the more people start to believe it. And this is a challenge that we have in Western countries because of the ability that um, your freedom of speech and governments can't be seen to uh, interfere with the press and with the media. Therefore, we have Eastern countries abusing that uh, trust that we have and that, uh, that freedom that we have um, by ensuring that a lot of propaganda, a lot of fake information has been spread uh, and actually been put in front of us very, very easily. And they use these methods called double negatives which is using terms that actually puts two things together, which are both negatives, but actually makes it positive. So the trend thinks it's something that you want to see and puts it in front of you. So therefore, it creates a reaction, it creates a question 
over the information that you've already received. So can you give an example of that? So an example of that is that, you know, let's say, you know, somebody uses a phrase like, uh, what was it, uh, uh, Hillary Clinton is good, but does really bad things. <laughs> it's something that's a positive, but also a negative. So if you like uh, uh, Hillary Clinton, or if you don't like Hillary Clinton, that will, both of those will be in your feed. So because there's a, both a positive and negative part of it. And that's used very frequently in order to get information in front of a wider audience if you use uh, trends like that because the algorithms compute, get computes. So therefore, it gets in front of you. So if you, uh, you, know, if you like uh, some campaigns or you don't like some campaigns, you will start to see information uh, that actually uh, is negative to you and therefore creates you to, to interact and to sometimes even commenting will spread it to your friends and to your network. So this is what really uh, the propaganda and the algorithms are being abused. And therefore, we really need to get into much more transparency into understanding how things are in front of you. If you understand why you're seeing it, uh, why those algorithms are showing in front of you, you start to really get to the source and the understanding about the background into why you're seeing these types of uh, uh, actually lack of context. So what I find is most of the information we see in the media news today especially from a social perspective, has lost its context. What they're doing is they're taking maybe videos or pictures and combining it with actually uh, false information uh, so the pictures and videos may be true, but the context is being manipulated in front of us. Um, I was always told that you know, a method that I used in the past and was, was educated in was if you see a picture and you see, everyone sees the picture differently. And what happens is when you add a word to that picture, then everyone sees it the same way. And that's what the manipulation propaganda is using in order to get us to, to question governments, to question uh, things like uh, immigration, to question things around uh, populism, uh, uh, the economies, um, you know, from democratic to republican. It's to get us to question everything that we have actually historically been taught. And this is the challenge we have. And I think that uh, going forward, that we're going to start seeing a massive attack uh, on our society and way of civilization that we have today that's being fueled by information wars. How can someone judge the information and the misinformation and question? Um, because there is so much of it. What makes them not question the good stuff as well? I think that's a great question. Only the likes of you know Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter can really come up, and Google can come up with you know those types of answers because they have to get to the point where they have to actually, sh rather than us looking at something and, and not knowing why it's there, I think it's important that we need to know why the information is being displayed in front of us. So showing the transparency, showing why that piece of information because we like something or because we're interested in something. Show the, the relationship between the algorithm and the information. And that allows us to create you know, the education awareness that people can go and start looking whether that's something that uh, is trustworthy or, or maybe it's got loss of context or loss of, uh, uh, of uh, the realism. We need to get into that situation where we need to be uh, transparent and the social media and social networks need to start showing us why that information is being and where it comes from where's the original so where did it start from show that relationship where it actually just don't show me the result show me the actually how that uh, result was actually created did it come from multiple sources um, who was the real user behind it what country was actually uh, you know did it source 
we need to get more transparency from social media rather than just accepting what we see in front of us we need to understand its uh, event history but with the problems of attribution do you think that is possible I think it's possible um, that uh, it gets into, just like Twitter does have the verification uh, of users, um, we do need to get into a situation where there's verified and unverified data. And therefore, uh, verified data means is that the person has to um, make sure that they're coming from authentic source. And that's what we need to get into is that uh, there's anonymous sources and there's authentic sources. So therefore, it allows you to trust you know, uh, basically the origin. If it's coming from anonymous, you might question it because basically that person doesn't want to reveal their true identity. If it's coming from uh, uh, verified, authentic sources that those networks actually have validated, then you get a more sense of uh, trust. Um, so it's like you know, when you meet people that you get introduced. And when somebody of your friend introduces to somebody, you have a better trusting of that person. Um, versus just meeting somebody random in the street and actually then claiming to be something else. Um, so when you're introduced, I think that's a much better way of uh, looking at these you know, validated sources. Now there's been a lot of noise in the media about the 2016 elections, both in, in, in America in the UK. What, is, what are the misconceptions that you hear in the media and amongst the public, the misconceptions about election hacking that you want to put straight? I think the, there's a lot of misconceptions. One is that the um, one is attribution. Um, attribution is probably one of the most difficult things we have in this industry. So attribution that traces back. I refer to that in the industry. There's a lot of cyber mercenaries that are basically simply, you know, uh, cyber criminals for hire, and they get hired by both organizations and criminals, and they get hired by companies. They get by, hired by governments. Therefore, attribution to what was their motivation is very difficult to trace back to. So absolutely, uh, the challenge that we have is understanding true attribution. And what we hear from governments that are saying with high confidence, um, to me, um, that means that they don't want to reveal <laughs> their intelligence. And, and attribution, in my experience, is that only true attribution is when we actually have people involved at the other side, meaning that there is a, a mole or a spy that can identify and verify that this is a source of information. Because digital attribution by itself, I think, is very challenging without, of course, the, you know, the attacker making a mistake. If they don't make a mistake, attribution can be almost impossible without a real human being involved. The other disinformation, of course, is around that uh, many governments are sometimes getting too early to revealing uh, the actually uh, investigation response. They're too quick to point fingers. And I think that we need to get into a point was when I hear things very quickly being identified back to different nation states and countries, I question it because uh, realistically a proper digital forensics investigation takes time. And again, the only way you can truly do that very quickly is if you already have an uh, insider at the source. So uh, when we hear about these uh, types of uh, uh, nation-state campaigns and attacks, I always question it until some information is revealed about attribution, the intelligence, and the gathering, and how it was actually performed. I think we also have to get down to that um, I don't think that... Uh, the elections themselves. I don't think that the result is being manipulated. I've always been uh, kind of looking at, well, it's actually easier to change the, uh, the person's mind <laughs> uh, and much more effective. And so most of the things we're seeing is it's not actually hacking the systems and it's not actually hacking the result. It's actually hacking the mind of the person. And that's what these information wars are. 
this is what we're seeing this propaganda is actually getting the person to make the decision that you want them to make and that's what real election hacking is happening that's the the true source of uh, of the cyber attacks today but as you said propaganda has always existed how is this different the difference is that again one is how quickly it gets in front of you uh, propaganda historically of course you always knew where it was coming from you always knew that how it was getting in front of you now the problem is, is that uh, the propaganda today is coming from all over the place it's coming very quickly it's getting to you immediately um, it's trending uh, very fast and actually gets uh, from basically the social spheres as I mentioned earlier if you know the algorithms you can get it to as many people as you need to mass populations instantly rather than what was historically propaganda would have been through things like radio or TV um, that you had to get people to sit in front of it now with people with mobile phones sitting in their hands you know eight, 16 hours a day it's instant and that's the big difference is the speed and the skill that it gets in front of people so we've heard of various Russian hacking groups, such as Fancy Bear. Yes. How would you describe Fancy Bear? What is it, and and what motivates a group like that? Um, I think there's a misconception that you know, Fancy Bear is, uh, you know, some of the GRU uh, operatives or ex-operatives. They, for me, Fancy Bear is not a nation-state control group. It's a nation-state-sponsored group, and there's a difference, meaning that Fancy Bear are cyber mercenaries. They act uh, on their own, they do their own initiatives, they have their own motivations. However, uh, those types of cyber mercenaries, they, because they're not attacking their own governments or their own citizens, they're able to, get, uh, to carry out their uh, motives and initiatives and crimes without actually being uh, prosecuted from their own governments. And that's the challenge. And then it gets into attribution, is if they are acting on their own personal gain and their own personal motives, and once in a while they do something for the government, how do you determine which is which, which, is which, which is the true? Uh, were they doing it as their own patriotic uh, attempts, or was it actually something that was actually uh, instructed from the government? And of course there'd be very, very little trails or uh, digital footprints between those. And this is the situation we're in today. So there is many groups like that, uh, definitely in, in, in Russia. When you get into China, it's a little bit different because most things are state-controlled. So therefore, you do very rarely get people acting on their own. Uh, but in Russia, you definitely get groups that are, are cyber mercies that do both uh, government uh, um, initiative attacks and their own personal criminal activities. Mm-hmm. And, and what methods are you seeing hackers using at the moment? Are there any new methods? Um, not many new methods. Um, the, the methods are quite common and uh, uh, quite old. Um, the one that's becoming more popular, of course, is social engineering. Um, and of course, that uh, the reason why social engineering is more popular today than simple, you know, hacking a system or you know going through a firewall, is that versus when you get control of a system, you only got one system. When you do social engineering, when you actually steal a person's identity, you become that person. So any access that that person's credentials or identity has you have now be able to abuse that identity and become that person, which means that you've got access to more than just an endpoint, you've access to all the internet services that that person has and all the data that that person has. And when you steal a person's identity, you can easily bypass almost all security controls that companies have put in place. Um, this is why social engineering is very attractive for cyber criminals. And it's also very cost efficient as well, uh, because for example, zero days today are very expensive but a simple uh, credential and compromised account is very cheap. So therefore, it's very cost-effective for cyber criminals to target 
uh, stealing people's identities through the likes of phishing campaigns or email scams or social engineering. And today we're putting a lot of information on public sources, so therefore it's very easy today to do social engineering. And almost pretty much you know, about 80% of all incidents have a social engineering aspect to it. And you, you mentioned transparency. You'd like to see more greater mm -hmm. transparency. What other improvements would you like to see put in place in the election system? In the election system, I think what's important is that uh, one is using uh, alternative methods. So, and the reason for doing alternative methods means that uh, just like in Estonia, we have multiple methods of voting. So you've got the traditional paper ballots. You can go and, and do the paper ballots and put them in. You've got the electronic voting. You can go and actually do the booths themselves. You can also do then internet voting as well. And the great thing about having those uh, uh, multiple methods and multiple mechanisms is that you get oversight of each other. So if you only have one system, and that system is actually the integrity fills, then it questions all the votes. If you have multiple systems, they can provide oversight into each other meaning that for an attacker to try to compromise all of those systems is very more challenging and more difficult, more costly. So therefore, you can very quickly determine if there's an integrity failure in one system because you typically will see trends or differences in the methods of the actually results of the voting itself. So I think that we have to get into having more diverse voting, more transparency, and also using blockchain as well in the voting integrity uh, both actually in the process itself and also maintaining the history votes to make sure it's more tamper resistant. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And what's your advice for the in individual out there in, say, the forthcoming elections? You know, how they view the sources, how they view media, how they view what they read. On an individual level, what advice would you give? I think it's important to try to ignore social media from your influences and really get down to what's more important for you. Um, just go directly to the information and the sources and uh, try to ignore uh, any of the social spheres that actually try to influence you. Uh, vote with your head and your heart, um, not with basically what you read. Uh, and I think that will make a difference because then you're voting with what's important for you, not what's important for the, um, what you're actually you know, being influenced from. A big thank you to Joseph and hope you enjoyed the interview. Now for our cyber tip of the week. Don't plug in USB memory sticks into your device unless you trust where they come from. If you do, make sure your device can scan the stick before it downloads any software. That's all we have time for unfortunately this week, but please do rate, review and comment on our shows. We appreciate it. And you can also follow us at Tice News and tweet us your questions. We'll be back next week for more Cyber Chat, but for now, it's bye from us. <laughs> <laughs>